In episode 69 of MobyCast, we get hands-on with part two of our microservices bootcamp and discuss sizing, decomposition, and dismantling the monolith. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. All right. So let's talk about what we've been up to. We are are missing Rich, as you can tell by my intro. He's on vacation, so he'll be back, I think, next week. But what have you been up to? I've been transitioning with responsibility. So I've been, I had a client that I've been working with for the past two and a half years and just recently have been uh, completed my transition plan to roll off that so I can go work on some, some new initiatives here at Calsis. So I've been really excited about that. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about it too. We're going to do some big new things at Calsis and they might involve this here MobyCast. So stay tuned. And I also have some personal news. Yesterday, I got an email and I was like, what? Does that really say what I think it says? And it said that you won a raft. So <laughs> I won a whitewater raft in a contest and I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. It's like it's a small raft, but it's big enough for my wife and I and our two kids. And uh, it's like a whitewater raft to go down like the Eagle River or Colorado River or whatever. And I mm. won it. Be- and it's not just a raffle. There was some skill involved in winning this raft, Chris. <laughs> there was like a contest put together by the, the Eagle Valley Watershed Council or the Eagle River Watershed Council that where you could guess when the peak runoff would be and how many cubic feet per second it would be at the gauge in Gypsum, Colorado. And I guessed the closest. Wow. Yes. Go look for gumballs now. <laughs> yeah. And let, let me guess. So, so you, so you won the raft, but you just have to take care of shipping and handling. That's like four hundred dollars. <laughs> no, it, the Eagle Eagle River Watershed Council is one block away. I, I drove my truck over, and we threw it in the back, and I drove it home. Nice. Yeah, it was great. Cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's pretty exciting. Maybe some of these new initiatives that are coming out of MobyCast will take a little longer than we expected. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's john he's on the river with this with this. see you've seen the movie christmas story right uh what story uh christmas story oh yeah 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 so that when he when he he wins the major award the, the like the lake the lake lamp is, yes. he's like it's a major award he's, he won it with skill because he was doing like crossword puzzles or something like that. <laughs> this is your major award so go ahead put that raft in the front window there so that yep. everyone on the block can yep. see it yes. <laughs> all right so major today award. yeah my, now that we're, we've got that out of our system today we're going to talk about microservices we're on part two of our boot camp and it's hands-on microservices. Today, we're going to talk about sizing, decomposition, and dismantling the monolith. So I read the outline and talked to you about it before this show, and I'm really excited for what we have to say today. Go ahead and get, and get us started, Chris. Yeah, so, you know, we, we've kind of covered the, the theory, the definitions, and so this particular, um, this portion of the of the series is really just about, like, rolling up the sleeves and, and like, how do you use these in practice? Um, and what are some of the, kind of like, just the trickier aspects of, of implementing microservices in, in the real world? So hopefully folks will find that pretty interesting and, and useful. So maybe to start off with, you can talk about, like, you know, how do you determine what the size of your microservices should be, like, you know what? What is that that unit, that incremental unit that you should be breaking things up into? 
It's like it feels like naturally the size of the microservices, whatever you want it to be, then plus all of the dependencies that start working their way and worming their way into it. And then pretty soon it's huge. And then we're back to a monolith. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's well, and, and it's one of those things where it's determining the right size. It's it's not it's going to be different for everyone. And it's really going to be based upon just your your familiarity with some of the the, the various uh, topics and operational readiness, your team size and, and abilities there. So there's, if you're, especially if you're kind of, you haven't really been working too closely with, with microservices, like maybe your, you know, your CICD pipeline is not as robust as, as you'd like it to be to go ahead and go all in on microservices and say, now we have like, instead of one thing, we have like eight things that are individually deployable that might be too too much, right? It's like you're 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 biting up way more than you can handle. Sorry to interrupt, Chris. That's really interesting, and and it kind of it's just so important that microservices have this extra load that comes with them around just operational stuff that you have to do to keep them happy, and that that stuff gets built over time. So just something to keep in mind is like. If you've been doing microservices a lot, you have all that stuff because you've, you've been doing it for a long time and you can more quickly spin up a new microservice and it's just easy peasy. But if you're doing it for the first time, you're gonna, you've got a lot of extra non-business logic stuff to think about. So yeah, okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So so that's definitely something you need to consider is just from a from just an operational standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a process standpoint, you know, how how comfortable am I? with just dealing with multiple things that I, that I need to work with. So mm-hmm. you also want to keep in mind your team size and, and people that are working on. So it's probably a good idea to kind of think of sizing your microservices so that they're something that you could break up and have a, a team own it. However big that, that size of the team may be. I mean, you could have a define a team of size one. It could be a, a team of eight people. Right. But that is one of the advantages of going to microservices is it allows you to break things up to make and they they stand alone. They're independent. And so you can go give it to a particular team and that team can own it. And other teams really don't have to know about that, that service. Right. You just have to have a contract in place for how they they interoperate with it. So, you know, what's the API and whatnot. But as far as like the specifics of that service, they don't need to know. So think you want to take that into into account. When you're trying to decide, like, hey, how big should this microservice be? Make sure it's, you know, something that the team can handle. And this is where we can use the term of cog- cognitive load, right? So cognitive load, it refers to the used amount of, of, work- of working memory resources that you're, that you're using, right? So it's, it's basically, it's like, what can you keep in your head? without having to go to refer to something else, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's like your, it's like RAM, right? It's like, well, what, what can you keep in context without having to page to disk, right? To swap it out and go look something up or go refer to some documentation or whatnot. So, you know, you want to keep that in mind of like, just how much do I have to know? How much do I have to keep in my head? And the bigger that that amount of, of demand on my working memory resources, right? Then the, the more likely that this is going to be too big for the for the team. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a whole bunch of research and writings that go into this, like cognitive load. It's a it's a very very common, well researched way of measuring things. There's there's actually three different types of cognitive load uh, related to, you know, is it actual, you know, is it, is it, is it loads? Is, is it 
demands on the specific top, the topic or task that you're working on versus is it like some of the extraneous information that kind of like the environment that you have to know about versus germane cognitive load is, is basically like the tribal knowledge, the, the synthesis, like how does this thing play within a more complicated system, right? So those, those three things all go into to con- cognitive load. But I think the, the real takeaway here is just, you know, make sure that it's sized so that knowing all those three types of things, so like the specific code base, its environment, how to deploy, and then how it interoperates with other things in the system, that is, again, small and it's sized sufficiently so that people on that team all can can deal with that without like not knowing what to do, right? Without consulting documentation or have to go talk to someone else on the team. And so that's probably a good guideline for how big your services should be. Right. I guess that would be something that would come, you would learn how to do through experience and also through not just past experience, but current experience. So like there's not a thing that says, you know, if a microservice has 35 Trello cards, then that's the perfect cognitive load for a microservice, right? There's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of just know like, oh my God, I just can't keep this thing in my head anymore. Maybe we should break it up and, and you know, put it into different pieces or like maybe, so, so that's like the current experience part of it. Like this is getting to be too much to handle. I'm starting to find, I feel like we're getting slower as a team because every time we have to go touch this nightmare part of the code, we have to go read code for an hour before we can even do anything. That's probably too high of a cognitive load system. And then I guess the past experience would just be like, you know, you're working with you're working within a team and the product manager is like, hey, we're going to do this and this and this and it's going to be great. And, it's, and, and then the architect is like, oh, yeah, and it's going to be in this type of system. And you might you know raise your hand and say, oh, I built something like that before. And the cognitive load got too high. So we broke it down like this. And that would be how you use past experience to determine to sort of suggest breaking things into multiple microservices to keep your cognitive load overhead manageable, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, a, it's, it's a process. Experience really counts here. It's going to be something you're going to get better and better at. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. It's one of those things when you when you do exceed the cognitive load, like it's going to be painfully apparent, right? You'll know like when you've gone too far, right? So that's that part of that learning curve, that part of that experience. So it's probably best for you to begin kind of like, I mean, part of this might be like just document, like just kind of like think about like document, document, like what does it mean to like, what is this interoperating with? Um, how many dependencies does it have? How difficult is, you know, deploying or monitoring or, or dealing with, with issues that come up? Like if you're making run books, how big your run book is, like all that stuff will be clues into just like how big this thing really is and how complicated it is. Right. And I kind of touched on this last week and I want to hit it, hit it again because it's one of my favorite things to talk about is that I think teams can get into a place where they feel like breaking something down. And we'll talk a little bit more about breaking down monoliths, but even splitting up, you know, too large of a microservice. They, they get into this place where, oh, my God, it would be so much work to fix this and make it make it better. So let's just keep adding on to it and dealing with the pain that, you know, the, the little pain each day instead of the big pain of fixing it. But then, and tell me, Chris, if this hasn't been your experience too. So often I see that when finally it's like, all right, time to swallow the pill and break this down and do the right thing. And then it's like a week later, it's like, oh yeah, it's starting to come together. Like, 
Really? You you just lived through three months or six months of pain to avoid a week of work? <laughs> like that happens all of the time. It's not so hard to to address some of these big problems sometimes. Sure. Some uh, the one area where it might be more than a week of work is when there's just a massive migration and that could take, you know, 3 to 4 weeks and that could really slow you down and and yeah, that's that's painful. But still it's doable. You can do it. We'll get into migrations in a little bit. So let's keep going. Cool. Yeah, so 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 that's sizing. So again, really specific to each each in each situation, but definitely take into account like your team and then also your operational maturity with just dealing with services in general. Um, and those should be two two of the the big guiding principles there. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about moving from from monolith to microservices. So we we talked about this last week about just like what are the benefits of microservices and and how you know what are some of the advantages versus monolith. So you know as we as we change that shift in thinking of going from monolith to microservices, you know what do we need to consider and like what are some of the strategies there? So you know a big part of this ends up becoming service decomposition. And this goes along with sizing to some respect, but you know what what are appropriate candidates to become microservices, and especially like how do you how do you do this when you have an existing monolith and you need to you you, you decide you want to go to, to microservices? This is the like the really common scenario, right? This is the one that just about every single software team runs into at some point like they have some legacy code base it's it's a big monolith and they do want to go to microservices well how do you do it right like it's the analogy is like you're you're trying to change out all the parts of a race race car while it's going 150 miles down the road and the race car is made out of a solid brick of aluminum (laughs) yeah (laughs) if if only right because then it's actually pretty easy because there's only one part right Right. So, but yeah, I mean, and, and this, again, this is the norm, right? This is the problem that just about every single software team faces. And there is that, that common problem. like, where do you, where do you begin? Like, how do you do this? And it, you know, it is going to be painful. So, so yeah, spoiler alert, this is not an easy process at all. And before you embark on it, just make sure that this is the right path for you and your situation, right? Like you may kind of, again, look at the pros and cons of going from monolith to microservices. You need to look at your operational maturity and, you know, do you have a CI, CI, CD pipeline? Is the code changing frequently? Are new features needed to be added? Mm. Like all that has to factor into it. Like it could be that you have a monolith and like, it doesn't need to be changed all that often. And maybe it doesn't, you know, you're not deploying all that often and it may be best just to leave it alone Absolutely, um, and, and let it live. I mean, we have these things that like, that still exist. I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of examples of the equivalent of monoliths that will, that continue to live today. Right. We, we, I think GitHub has one in there. I think Facebook has one in there. Like these are major, awesome, awesome services that we all use. They have part of it. Part of their systems are monolithic. Yeah. All right. I'm thinking even older, right? Like think about all the, the, the COBOL code that's still out there. Right. So in the financial sector and the government sector, I mean, there's still mainframes, you know, from the seventies and eighties, running right so but probably not <laughs> adding new features right they're not they're not using agile development right no. like they're they're more maintenance mode so yeah. so yeah so just make sure like this is the right path for you and your situation and i think as far as like approaches like how do you once you decide that you do want to go from a monolith to microservices 
and mm-hmm. you need to do your service decomposition. There's there's really kind of like I think I can think of like two major approaches here. Um, so one is this concept of, of of a brownfield approach, and so brownfield development. This is it's kind of a newish term. I mean, we've all heard of greenfield, and greenfield's pretty straightforward. Where it's like, oh, we get to start from scratch, right? Clean piece of paper. That's greenfield, mm-hmm. uh, and don't have to take into account any any legacy issues. So brownfield is when your new software that you're building has to take into account and coexist with software that's already in place. Mm-hmm. And I think this actually this term comes from the um, architecture and, and building industry where they, they're, they're going in and they're doing, you know, remodeling or adding new, new structures inside existing new, new buildings inside existing developments and, and whatnot. So with the brownfield approach for the monolith, you basically, you, you leave the monolith as is, you're not really going to touch it. And instead you're going to build new features that you want to add to your system, get built out as microservices and they're kind of bolted around the perimeter, if you will, of the of the monolith. And then you can use things like reverse proxies to route traffic. So the clients still see it as one system, but you use those reverse proxies to then route it to whether it goes to the monolith or it goes to one of these new microservices, right? So... And this, I guess, makes the most sense when the when the existing monolith is something that really doesn't need to change very often. It's, it's pretty stable. It does what it's supposed to do. Everybody's happy with it, but they want new features. They don't. They don't want lots of changes to existing features, which may, you know, lots of wanting lots of changes to existing features and having a hard time having any velocity with that is one of the things that might lead people to wanting to implement microservices. Mm-hmm. So if that's if that's your problem that you're facing, then maybe Brownfield is not your solution. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's the the one. So again, if you if you can keep your monolith as is, it's not really changing much. Do the new stuff in a microservices approach and build around it and, and do your, your proxying. And that's, so that's Brownfield. I think, so the other big approach would be like, Hey, this is changing. We have to break it up. And we, we, you know, we're going to break up this monolith into multiple microservices because we, we are, this is important business logic. It's, it's, we want to add new features. There's some core capabilities inside that that monolith and so we actually do need to do that heavy lifting of breaking it up and now splitting off into multiple microservices and and this is definitely the the harder problem and i think it's probably also the more common problem so i think a lot of folks with monoliths out there they're they're being actively developed right Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that that will be the this next this next portion is just like, how do you dismantle the monolith? Right. How do you break it up? Just before we get there, though, I want to say that there is a third option that I think is really important for people to consider. And it might not be obvious and it may get a lot of pushback from the business, but it's worth thinking about, which is just starting over from nothing. And the reason to keep it in mind is just to, it's just business. Like sometimes it's faster to move without the legacy stuff in your way. And if, you know, if there's valuable data in there, you might be able to, in the legacy stuff, you might be able to move that data to some other place where you can still access it, you know, some sort of reporting or analytics system where you can still see what people did in the old system, but just build something new. And something that, I mean, just an example that comes to my mind, it's not exactly this, but, you know, PayPal did a person-to-person payment system, and it just kind of didn't get anywhere. And maybe there were engineers working on it and having trouble with it and doing all kinds of things with it. 
But then PayPal bought Venmo, which is a person-to-person payment system. And, you know, it's going gangbusters still to this day. And so PayPal still is solving the same business problem with completely different software. And I guess, you know, that's not the same as rewriting your monolith as microservices, but it is the same as replacing one system with another for the same business purpose. So just keep the business in mind when, you know, the business and the software are related. And every once in a while, a good old start over from scratch makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an analogous to the build versus buy, right? Like, in that particular case, PayPal bought instead, mm-hmm. of, instead of buying. But yeah, it's it, it's definitely, it's a, it's a good point of, you know, like, is what you have still relevant? Is it, you know, how complicated is it? How much, how much cognitive load does it require, right? Like, is it, if it's really complicated and there's a lot of tribal knowledge associated with it, then yeah, you may think twice about like how you're going to move away from it. Mm-hmm. And it may be you just spin up a new team that with here's the requirements and yeah, go build something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 50,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review and or a rating. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. Cool. Well, let's talk about like dismantling the monolith. Like, so we've decided we want to do this divide and conquer approach. We need to break up our monolith into multiple microservices. And, you know, how do we, how do we go about doing that? And so, you know, there's some key challenges here, some key decisions that need to be figured out. And that is you need to decide what you're going to decouple and when to do that. And then how are you going to do this in an incremental fashion? Right. And so this is one of the the key things that you need to keep in mind is like you want to have a stable system after every change. Yeah. Um, as you as you go through this, right? You don't want to you don't want to have like a point in no return, right? Because then a lot of risk with that, and it may work out. But if it doesn't work out, then you may be finding yourself looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So so we want to do this incrementally and minimize risk as much as as possible. So I think you know. Preferentially, you'll you'll want to start with larger services grouped by business logic domain. So you want to so minimize the number of new microservices, and then you know again, especially if you're not if this is a, a newer operational environment for you of going to having many deployable things in, versus you you really only had like one. Like you don't want to go from like one to sixteen like right out of the gate, right? So. You know, you may want to decide like, hey, what are like some of the key business domains that this monolith is doing? What are those vertical domains and break it out by that and err on the side of making them a bit bigger than being a bit smaller, right? So you want to have kind of minimum, keep those fewer as you work through it and as you become more operationally mature, then you'll have opportunities to further break those down. Right. Yeah. And so you can, you can decide to now like, okay, this is too big, right. It's, it's, it is requiring too much cognitive load and it's more than one team can handle. So let's break it up and you can kind of, this is lather, rinse, repeat, right. It's, yeah. it's you can do stepwise refinement on it. So that's kind of a um, suggestion there is start with larger services and then you can refine that as you mature. You also, again, definitely make sure you're taking atomic incremental steps. So you want to be working towards a state of essentially less entropy, right? Which, you know, you're fighting nature, but like, that's what you should be. Your goal should be 
along the way is that every time that you're doing one of these incremental steps, that the system is in a better state than the previous step. And also you should be thinking about allowing the possibility that you may not take any more steps after that. Right. So like, help me understand that. I, I read that in the outline earlier today and I was like, what do you mean? Like, well, maybe so, you can give me an example of an incremental step and, and then an example of one that might be the last one. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just, you can think of this as like, maybe there's a series of like, you, you look at your existing monolith, you say like, oh, you know what? There's probably like four different vertical, like business domains here that we're going to spin those out. We're going to do those incrementally there's some shared data that's involved here so we're going to be doing some database migrations and whatnot but you may break that into phases right and say like first we're just going to spin out one of those those Mm -hmm. vertical domains and then update clients accordingly and call that phase one right and maybe there's no state associated with that and then you know the next phase is like we're going to spin out another one and now this one does have state and we do need to to split its data so there's a data migration involved and now we're going to have two microservices with the what was the monolith is now a smaller monolith. We now have two databases. And so then, you know, the next phase would be another one, right? And now maybe you're adding, you know, some other features that you, you've decided that man, now we need better visibility into this. So there's some some distributed tracing or something or monitoring going on or whatnot. But you're, you're doing this in phases. But the important point is that every one of these phases, you have a complete system that's functioning, that's in a good state. Uh, And if you had to put your pencils down now and walk away, just make sure that you can do that. Right. And that's, and and so that's the suggestion here is like, because you never know, right. Right. The bosses, the point here, bosses are like, no more splitting stuff into microservices. mm -hmm. You've got to do feature work for the next seven months. Yeah. Some new priority comes up. Exactly. Yeah. So, so just, and again, it just goes to like, you know, you want to reduce risk. You want to make sure that every time you're making a change, you're leaving the system in a better state. You have that plan, but allow the possibility that you may not be able to execute, execute on the entire plan. Got it. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's a good idea. You know, another suggestion for, you know, how to, how to do this is definitely you want to minimize the dependencies of your, these microservices, these new microservices that you're creating, minimize their dependencies back to the monolith, right? So you want to go the other direction. So if you're, if you're, if you're creating these microservices that all have dependencies back to the monolith, you can imagine them all making like say API calls back to the monolith. And in order for them to be updated, they have to wait for updates on the monolith. Well, you've, you're kind of shooting yourself on the foot, Right. Yeah. Instead, you want it to be the other way around. You want to make it so that you can change the monolith so it can be a dependent on the microservices. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind as you're doing your design and, and moving through this process. You know, something else that you're going to be faced with is de- just determining what you should decouple. So what gets pulled out of that monolith into its own microservices. And so we've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, remember the primary reason for moving capabilities out of a monolith is the ability to release them independently because either they're very important to the business or they need to be changed frequently, right? So that is one of your your guideposts for your heuristics for like what identifying what it is that's in that monolith that should be moved out into its own its own thing. I, um, I've got to apologize, Chris. I kind of lost the thread of what you were talking about, and it's because I was still kind of caught up in the thing that we just finished talking about, which is the not depending back on the monolith. Mm-hmm. And so, 
I'm going to, I'm going to like ask this one question about that. And then I maybe want you to clarify what you were just talking about again. Cause I think this is really important that dependencies back on the monolith thing. Cause I'm, I'm, my mind was just like, well, what would cause you to do something like that? And, I, and then all of a sudden I imagined this microservice that maybe does five things. It's like, it has some sort of workflow that it takes care of that has have five different steps in it. It goes get some files, and then it goes to a database and gets some information, and then it does something to the files with that information and then stores them back somewhere. Maybe that you know four steps. If each of those four steps requires like doing some RBAC checking, some role-based access control, and all the role-based access control is in the monolith, whew, that could be ugly, right? That that might be an example of like the the microservice going, "Hey, monolith, can I do this? Hey, monolith, can I do that?" Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if that were the case, it, it would sort of suggest like, what can you do to, you know, make sure before handing off to the microservice that all the steps that it's going to take are authorized in advance, so it doesn't call back, or like. Maybe you're going to pull your R back out as your first microservice, like all kinds of stuff you could do there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or I mean, if that's it, and like that R back system is pretty entwined in your monolith, and you know it's going to be pretty hairy to to lift that out or to reduce the the reliance on it. So pick something else that doesn't use R back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Exactly. A lot of that monolith, right? So, yep. and this is this is really common, right? I mean, you're always going to be running into this this situation, right? Like that that monolith, it's it has everything in it. There's going to be some core things that cross cutting concerns that are it's going to be it's going to be challenging. So, you're always it's going to be an individual thing. You have to decide, like, hey, is there, you know, is one of those things going to be a target to become to be spun on as its own microservice, or are there other things that don't need those those common things and that's what gets spun out first right yeah. okay so <laughs> back to back to where you were help catch me up a little bit yeah and so this is just going in this is actually pretty similar to like what we're just talking about now it's like just you need to decide what it is that you're going to lift out of that monolith into microservices and uh, okay yeah. um, again just keep them like one of these these heuristics that you should be using to help you identify what should be pulled out is it's the code that you want to be able to release independently. Yeah. Right. You, you want it to be standalone and that's because you either a, you need to, you know, you're changing, it needs to be updated frequently, or it's just a really important piece of business logic. That's that really just, it's so important that standing alone makes sense for it. Yeah, right? it needs its own so, team or it needs its own, you know, mm -hmm. systems running it. Yeah. Right. So so that's that's just something definitely keep top of mind when you're asking yourself, okay, well, you're looking at your monolith. Okay, what should be pulled out? Like keep that in mind. Like what are the things that I really want to be able to release independently? And that's going to be a really good way, you know, helping you with that judgment call. So and we've talked about this before. So vertical domains, you know, business domains and their data are really good candidates here. And so moving away from a, from a shared database is going to be something that's really important to be thinking about here. So we talked about this in the past that, you know, um, in the previous show that, you know, microservices in general, like they're going to have their, you only have one reader writer to a database, yeah. Right, one service that does that. It's an owning service for that particular state, and anyone else that needs access to that state is going to do it through an interface of the service through an API call. They're not going to directly touch that database. So, you know, again, you're looking for these vertical domains in your monolith that you can be split out. If they are stateful, if they do have state, then you also need to move their data as well. Like you can't keep that data together inside that that shared database. No, no, no. You're just 
that's just going to be the, the that'll be the new most painful part of your system. Yes, yes. So those are some 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 kind of like tips and guidelines for like how you determine what you should decouple, and then you know beyond that, you're going to think about like how do you do this? How do you do the the, the migration right as you lift out this code? And this is where you get to decide, you know, and this kind of goes back to your earlier comment of like, are you going to reuse the code or do you rewrite the code? And this is a very real, a very real decision that you should take seriously, right? So don't fall victim to the sunk cost bias, right? So this is the, you know, the, and this we have this with anything, right? It's like we've gone and we've, we've spent money on something and because we've already spent a certain amount of money on it, we're going to keep spending money on it, right? Because we have this implicit bias that says it's now worth, but we don't want to lose that investment. So we're going to continue putting money into it, right? And so same thing with code, right? Just because the code is long lived and maybe there's lots of lines of code and, you know, you've spent months and months or years and years working on it. Like you can't take that into account on whether or not you should be reusing it. You really need to take a step back and just ask yourself, like, if I were to make this investment today and that, like, is that the right call? Yeah, um, that's important. I, I feel like both sides of this are equally bad. Like, don't fall victim to the sunk cost bias. Like, but also don't listen to the person who's like, I could write that in three weeks. Like, do not listen to that person either. Like, yeah. real systems take real time to build. And just because they took real time doesn't mean that that's that you need to save them at all costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where that term pragmatic mm-hmm. comes into play, right? You really have to take into account, like, okay, what is the cost? of doing this work and really what's the most pragmatic approach like what's going to provide the the best solution at the appropriate cost right so it's like maybe you can't afford the thousand dollar solution but maybe you can you know you can't afford like 250 dollars worth right so make sure that the spend is commensurate with with the quality or the the level of solution that you're that you're working towards. I guess another thing though that I would consider in this is again it's sort of stepping outside the development domain and and into other job roles is like whether or not the system is well understood outside outside the code because sometimes it's not. Sometimes the code is the one that understands the system the best. And when that happens and you think you can rewrite it, you, a lot of times you're wrong. Like a lot of times, uh, the only thing that understood everything that the system did is that literally the lines of code that made the system did do what it did. And you can't rely on a product manager or other business users to tell you everything it did because they just like it's too much work. So then it, when that happens, it's really unfortunate. It's probably worth your team taking the time to do you know some sort of discovery. But outside of that ability to do that discovery, you may just need to keep the code. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's unfortunately, it is a kind of a common thing, especially for um, projects that have been been in development for, for some amount of time, whether it be months or years or, or what, and had many team members on it and come and go and whatnot. Yeah. And when you are in that situation where it's like, man, we're really not sure how this thing works, <laughs> um, we're really kind of afraid of touching anything. Yeah. That's not a good place to be, right? And so, yeah, you do have to make that decision. Like, Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to our other episode we did on feature flags. Like maybe the thing to do there is to like start making changes or building that new microservice in with feature flags and then like have people tell you, wait, this thing used to do all these other five things when I used it. Now it only does this one thing. Mm-hmm. And at least you've sort of limited your blast radius. Like doing things to limit your blast radius when you're in that situation is probably more important than just breaking it up into microservices. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And take advantage. I mean, there are static code analysis tools and, and any actually even runtime code analysis tools to kind of show who's oh, yeah, what, right. More, yeah. And that can help out a lot here. You know, go back to like, just like, can we define like, what are the requirements here? What does it need to do? You know, what are the interfaces? And, you know, so techniques like that may, may help out a lot. And then, yeah, absolutely. Like when you do, want to start using the the whatever's been rewritten or kind of lifted out yeah feature flag it mm-hmm. right to to minimize the the risk of doing that especially if it if it was something that involved so much tribal knowledge and just mystery around it so we'll put a link to that other feature flag episode in the show notes so now the the last piece we're running long here and I'm sorry everyone but I don't want to I don't want to save this for next week cuz it's so practical. There you just have a list of six things here that I think you should essentially read out verbatim Chris and then we'll also put them in the show notes cuz it's literally like here's what you need to do with your database migration. Like mm-hmm. just do these steps and you'll be all good. Yeah. You want to go for it? Yeah, and so this is, you know, this is what everyone's going to run into, you know, you have the monolith, there's the one big database as you break up your microservices they each have to have their own backing stores. So you're going to have this migration. And how do you do it in a safe, responsible manner where you don't need to have downtime, right? So how do you do this? And so there, it's not easy. It is doable. You know, the, the, the technique here is to do it in small incremental updates with very little danger of breaking the system um, so that you can revert and go back. And so here, here's a pattern, right, that you can, that you can use. That And personally, I have used this Myself in systems at Kelsis on projects, we've done this kind of system at other companies. They've done this system as well. So it's been in the the trenches and it's something that this will work. Right. So step one is what you're going to first do is you're going to implement double writing. And so double writing just means you have now two sources of the same data. So you have the, the existing system and then you have the new the new database that you want to move to. And so whenever you're doing updates to that, to your, to the data, it's now going to write into both places, right? So you're, you're, you're now having two copies of the data. So that's the first step. The second step would then be to, to run a migration. So you're going to now migrate all of the existing data to the new database. While that, that's probably, you know, depending on how much data you have, that could take a long time, but we also have the double writing going on. So any, any updates that are made while that migration is going on, are going to ensure that both tables are staying in sync during that migration. And so now we're now in a system where we have both, we have a, a complete duplicate copy of the data, one in the existing system, one in the new one. Now the next step would be step three would be, now we want to start proxying the reads and the writes from the existing, from the existing system to now go to the new one, right? So you're, you're not updating your calling code necessarily. You're just now basically you're changing the implementation, you know, if you're using an ORM or, or whatever your database layer is, your state, your, your, your data layer, it's now going to, instead of reading and writing to the original database, it's actually going to go to the new one. And then. And that's the old code doing that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then after that, then you want to basically stop allowing access to the, to the old, to the, the, the original database table completely now it's all coming from the the new and database. Just, just for the tables or data that is part of this microservice, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're you know if you started off with a monolith and it's a big database with many 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 tables, some microservice that you spun out, it may be you know it's some subset of 
that, right? So it could be three tables. Sometimes it could be you're breaking up a table, right? Mm -hmm. Into maybe more than one table. And Mm -hmm. the same approach works for that and works really, really well for that. And then after that, the next the next couple of steps are really just about the cleanup and how you then tear down the old stuff, stop doing the double, you know, we, we've already stopped doing the double rights, but you want to make sure that your callers are now going through only to be talking to the new data so they're no longer going through the old code. And then finally, you're going to remove those proxies. And then along the way, you definitely want to have things like logging so that you can make sure that you have caught all these these callers that were going against the the original interfaces, and you can also feature use feature flags here as well to kind of do do um, safeguards along the way each one of these different steps, right? So that you know that you're not going to have a big surprise at the next step when you go mm-hmm. and start removing things. Very cool. The those six steps are going to be hard for re- listeners in their cars to keep all in their minds. So yeah, feel free to refer back to the transcription and show notes for for those steps i guess we'll probably get these exact steps into the show notes at the top in the summary area so that it's easy to to access yeah and and the the key thing here is just to understand like the technique is double writing Mm -hmm. you're you're basically you're going to duplicate the data and you're just gradually you're you're switching folks from going from instead of going to point a for the for the data they're going to go to point b and it's kind of like a railroad switch almost, mm-hmm. right? But you can't do the switch of the railroad until you're sure that there's the data is is, is now in the, the destination. <laughs> there's right? tracks on both sides of the switch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All That's right. Exactly right. Yep. Great. Well, super fun episode. I better wrap it up quick here. Anything else you wanted to say before we say goodbye to our listeners? No. I hope that was that was useful and practical. Gives gives folks ideas and takes some of the the hairiness of, of, of going from monolith to microservices. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, John. See you. Bye. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash six nine. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you. And we'll see you again next week.